Last week, we celebrated the fact that the Apostle Paul, in personal application for him and for us, says this. Basically, if you're going to go on with Christ, if you're going to move on in your relationship with him, if you're going to be a partner in the gospel and you're going to be like-minded with his son, then we need to see everything before Christ in the, in the uh, lost column. It's of no value. Whatever we were trusted in to save us, it might have been a family heritage. Maybe you were born into, quote, a Christian family. Well, that might be your first birth, but your second birth is supernatural. And it's by the Spirit of God, quickened by the Word of the living God. But all those things, or maybe we were trusted in our works, or maybe we were trusted in some religious ceremony, or some status, or some membership, or the countless other things that we trust in. The only way to be saved is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day, all according to God's promises. That is the gospel. It's supernatural. It's a new birth that takes place. And the Apostle Paul said, My old man, I count in the lost column. Everything that I used to value, everything I thought gave me credit before God, is now rubbish. It's cow dung. It's a, it's, I've discarded it. And now the only thing that I count in the credit column is a righteousness which is from God, which is received by faith. And see, Apostle Paul was constantly harassed by people that said it just can't be that easy. And the harassment goes on today. We want to add something to it. We want to make it more complicated. We want to put something in the mix. We want to kind of contort things. We want to put us in it. You know, well, it's Jesus and me. You know what? There was an old song that floated around years ago saying Jesus and me got our own thing going. Well, I can tell you one thing. It's not Jesus and me. It's just thee. It's just him. And so the Apostle Paul said, okay, we, we, here's the gain column, here's the loss column, here's the gain column. And he said the way you apply this, you remember, revelation, illustration, application. Revelation, the Apostle Paul said, I have no confidence in my flesh. You want me to illustrate that to you? I used to be the number one person who had a reason to have confidence in their flesh. Now I don't, and here's why. My confidence rests solely in Jesus. How do you apply that to your life? You apply that to your life by forgetting what's behind and press on to what's ahead. You remember we talked about the fact that, that whatever's into the blood, whatever's taken to the mercy seat, doesn't make it to the judgment seat. And that it's under the blood. And when it's under the blood, God forgets about it and puts it in a sea and puts a sign up there that says no fishing and He is taking it out of the way. The Bible says the first thing that John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit, said when he saw Jesus as an adult, after he hadn't seen him since they were in the womb, was, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. He took it away and nailed it to the cross, and I bear it no more. And we can sing with any saint and all the saints a chorus of praise and say, Now it is well with my soul. And so the application is we forget what's behind and we press on, we move on. And we talked about plowing a row. And the Bible says that a man's not fit for the kingdom of God. The only man that is that puts his hand to the plow, digs in, and doesn't look back. Because if you keep looking back, you can't, you can't cut a straight row. And I know that from personal experience, from plowing up a field. You cannot cut a straight row if you keep looking back. And we talked about the rearview mirror. And how that the rearview mirror is a little bit smaller mirror, but your front windshield is big. But the devil would have it the other way around. He wants us to have a rearview mirror that's this big so that we can't even see the front mirror and keep looking behind and being harassed 
by our past mistakes. Can I tell you something, believer? You need to learn, and I need to learn, the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is specific. You know what? You lost your temper with your wife and you were ugly to her. You need to go back and make it right. You got ugly in traffic right there and you messed up and you, you lost your temper. You need to make it right. And it's specific. You need to forgive that person because they wronged you and you're still holding on to it. It's not that you old sorry thing, you. How could God ever deal with a person like you? And I say, I agree with that. God can't deal with a person like me, but God dealt with His Son and credited me with that. Nana, nana, boo, boo. Amen? And so now, the plan is, is for us to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. There's so much confusion that exists in the body of Christ because of being confused about what it means to be positionally righteous and what it means to be growing your practical righteousness. And we're going to touch on that this morning because the Apostle Paul deals with that, strangely enough, in these two verses. Now, after he comes off and says, forget what's behind, I want you to press forward to what's ahead, and here's what's ahead. This is what we need to press forward to. Therefore, let us, because of what was just said, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Have you noticed in the book of Philippians how often it talks about mind, being like-minded, that we have the mind of Christ, let's be of one mind, of one accord. This is the only thing that's going to get us on the same page. The body of Christ is composed, and it should be, of people from different backgrounds, different pedigrees, different experiences, different everything. But the body of Christ is supernatural. And we have the prospect and the hope and the confidence for unity if we'll get on God's page rather than expect Him to get on ours. And what is His mind? His mind is this. He said, as many as of you, let's tease that out a little bit. He said, as many of you as are mature. Okay? Let me tell you what that word means. That word means brought to its end. It means finished. It means wanting nothing necessary to completeness. You've been brought to maturity. You are, I mean, you've been brought to its finished end. You want, there is nothing left to complete you. It also means perfect. Some of you, in some of your translations, it might be, the word perfect might be used there. As many as of you are perfect. Okay? It means that which is perfect. It means full grown. It means adult. It means a full age. It means mature. It means that the very moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the very moment that He gives you the gift of repentance and faith in His Son, you are positionally righteous before God. Right then. You're as righteous in His sight as you'll ever be. Now you go, wait a minute now. That sounds heresy. I mean, you don't know how I acted this morning. You don't know how I acted either. But I can tell you this. It doesn't matter right now. It does matter how we act. But as far as our positional righteousness, he's saying to those of you who are, he's talking to every Christian here. He's saying the moment that you were born again of the Spirit of God, you were perfected in, in positional righteousness. That's how God sees you. That's your standing before God. That is so incredibly important. Because knowledge of that, understanding that, Receiving that and abiding in that is the key to living that. 
Much of the Christian life is just a mind renewal, an exercise of a renewing of our mind to wash out the filthy carnal thoughts that are there and replace them with divine heavenly truth. Did you know when the Bible says that God spoke from heaven and said when Jesus was baptized, He publicly said what? We have the Trinity there when He was baptized. We have Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. And then, we, then He says what? He speaks from heaven and says what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, lights on Him like a dove. So we got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit giving testimony to the identity of the one baptized. And did you know this? This is going to be hard for you to swallow this morning. It's going to be a little bit difficult for you, maybe for some of you. Positionally speaking, God looks at you and I and declares from heaven the exact same thing. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You go, wait a minute now. I'm not living a lie. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Positionally speaking, God declared from heaven, the gavel has been put down on the, the judgment seat, and he said, those who put faith in my son are gifted with righteousness. Let's tease out the kind of righteousness that is a little bit. We'll get happy here in a minute. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? And we've gone over this in our Roman study, but I want to, and those of you who are going through it, you'll, you'll recognize this. But let me, let me share this with you. In the Garden of Eden, in a perfect environment, Adam fell. Eve gave into the temptation to eat of the uh, fruit. You know the story. And then Adam Eight as well. And the Bible says through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and therefore all died because all have sinned. Okay, so the original sin. But before that happened, Adam was a righteous man. Anybody agree with that? Everybody agree with that? Adam was righteous. Had to be righteous because he was created in God's image and he walked with God and he fellowshiped with God. So Adam was righteous. Have you ever heard it said or you ever thought about this? That through the work of the cross... Jesus died in our place, shed His blood, and through faith in Him we become one of His own, His children. And the Bible says that we're declared righteous by faith. He said not our own righteousness now, but a righteousness which is from God by faith. And the Bible says we're declared righteous, positionally speaking. Okay, we're declared righteous. Have you ever thought about the fact that God, in essence, restored us back to what we once had. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? That, you know, the Adam, the Bible says that, that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And they were hanging out with one another. And he and they had animals to name. And I, I know I'm using a little bit of a sanctified imagination, but could you imagine a squirrel going across the plate? You know, and God said, What you gonna call that, Adam? Squirrel. Okay, it's a squirrel. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? They had that, that dynamic going on, this relationship, man. And they were walking together. There was nothing to hinder it. There was nothing to, there was, it was, they were in a perfect unity with one another. He saw God for who God is. He got to see Him and walk with Him and talk with Him face to face. Could you imagine? God. And here He is, one of His creatures, getting to glorify Him. By everything He did, He glorified Him. But guess what? Guess what? When we become Christians and we respond to the gospel through the prompting and the power and work of the Holy Spirit, we get restored not to the righteousness of Adam. 
Watch it. Because his righteousness didn't hold up under the temptation. His righteousness, he had a righteousness of his own. It was a righteousness that he gave man when he created him. But when the temptation came, he gave in to it. But when, so in the Garden of Eden, Adam fell. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prevailed. Amen? So the righteousness that we now have is not the righteousness that Adam had before the fall because otherwise it couldn't sustain itself. The righteousness we have now is the righteousness of Christ. Amen? And it's been tested. It's been tried. It's been proven. He came down here. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. It's gone through the mill. It has not weighed in the balances and found warning. It's gone through all it had to go through, and it came out on the other end, faithful, tried, tested, true, eternal, and friend, as a believer, it's been gifted to you. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 One of the greatest verses in the Bible. They're all great. But listen to this. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Adam in Him. Is that what it says? No. It says He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You can't please God apart from God. And God had in His plan altogether that it was one day He was going to redeem us, call us to His own, indwell us through the Holy Spirit, and make us positionally righteous through the merits of His Son. Remember we talked about the fact that Jesus died a twofold death. He didn't die two deaths. But His death's twofold in the sense that He died as our substitute, but He also died as our representative. And everything that happened to Him and everything that He went through has been bequeathed to you and I the point of belief. And now we can say those who are perfect, those who are positionally perfect, and that includes everybody in the body of Christ. And let me tell you something. Wait a minute before you go to thinking elsewhere. We don't act perfect. I don't need to tell you that. All you need to do is look in the mirror. Look at our lives for the last three hours and see that we don't act perfect. But positionally speaking, it doesn't change that one iota. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so when he says, you know what? Listen, many of those who are perfect or mature or complete, listen, listen, who are a work in process, have this mind. So the title of the sermon is we're conformed to the image of Christ as far as positional righteousness, but as far as practical righteousness, i.e. how we live, we are being conformed to the image of Christ, and that is God's will. You want, you want, let me tell you this. I know this sums it up, but it does sum it up. The will of God for the believer is that we be conformed into the image of His Son. That's the will of God. The will of God is, is that we are Jesus, and He is Jesus through us to a world that's lost and dying in desperate need of Him. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go over there. Turn left and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Number 3. What a deal. Jesus on the cross takes our sin and then turns around and gives us His righteousness. What an exchange. What a deal, Brother Al. Amen. You going to take that one? I'll take him up on that one, won't you? Jesus gets death, we get life. But we died in His death. 
And now we, his life has been bequeathed to us. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Did you see that? That Here's the purpose. This is the piano part. It all, go, it all boils down to this. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus, here we go again, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Look, two times right here. That the, here's the purpose. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the, here we go again, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. As a growing believer, we should carry about us the fragrance of Christ. There should be an aroma about our life. There should be a, 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 a sense about the life and witness of a believer who's maturing in his relationship with the Lord. That when we walk in a room, Jesus walks in that room. And that's not being bragging or that's not being boastful it's it's that if god has such a way with us in greater measure of surrender as we progressively surrender over and that's what he's talking about the death there as we die to our rights as we die to our appetites as we desire die to our die our dreams and our goals if they're not god given as we die to all of these things. We die to our right to hold on unforgiveness. We die to our right to set our future. We die to our right to make our career choices. We die to our rights to ourselves so that we can parent and love on our children and our wives. And we, 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 we don't ask God to conform to our plans, but we expect to find out what His are and conform to His. And we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within us. And as that continues to happen, there's less of me and more of thee. And as there's less of me and more of thee, that's God's plans for the believer. He is conforming us into the image of His Son. We've used this analogy before, but it's kind of like Superman. Clark Kent. That's who we are on the outside. We're a bumbling you know, incapable, disjointed, unable to do anything right. But inside us is Jesus. Inside us is the very God of the universe as a believer. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One of the most, one of the most important words in the Bible, one of the most important phrases in the Bible in the New Testament, seven words, Christ in you. The hope of glory. The problem is, is he's not coming out. 
The problem is he's been shrouded. The problem is is we've cloaked him because of unholy living. There's still a call for holy living in the life of a believer. There's still a call for Christ's likeness. There's still a call for conformity. We're conformed, but we're being conformed. Now I want you to look at this verse. We mentioned it last week, but I want you to look at it specifically. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Those who are perfect, those who have been positionally made righteous. I've got a message for you, Paul says. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, that's the cross of Calvary. Watch this. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, Positional righteousness is the righteousness of God credited to the believer upon belief. It happens immediately. You get saved, positionally righteous. God calls us righteous. God calls that which is not as though it were because He sees us through the merits of His Son. That's how we got in, through the merits of His Son. And we're positionally righteous. Practical righteousness is indeed the process whereby God is daily conforming us into the image of His Son. And there's a gap, like we've talked about, between positional righteousness and practical righteousness. And the Christian life is about closing that gap. That as we go on and mature, that we start to act out and live out through the power of the Holy Spirit that which is already true of us. And it starts manifesting itself. He starts manifesting Himself through us. Now we see both of those in this verse. And I'm going to ask you which one. Say it out loud if you see it. Which one is which? Because it's very obvious. But let's look at them. For by one offering, the cross of Jesus, accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, the merits of Jesus, by one, not many, by one offering, by one offering on the cross of Calvary, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Let me ask you a question. Perfected forever. Which does that speak of? Does that speak of positional righteousness or does that speak of practical righteousness? Positional. You have been perfected forever. Now, those who are being sanctified speaks of what? Positional righteousness or practical righteousness? Practical righteousness. You have been perfected forever by one offering and you are being sanctified. You are daily being conformed to the image of God's Son and that's God's will for the believer. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will get to see the Lord. I used to think that text meant that you had to be holy to get to see the Lord. But I've come to believe that that text means this. Unless you're pursuing holiness, and unless you're growing in holiness, the people around you will not get to see Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now. What a sham. What a sham it is for us to know Jesus as long as we've known Him. And somebody have a brush with us, and them not get to see at least something of Him. At least something of Him. At least a little bit of His compassion and love. At least a little bit of His selflessness. At least a little bit of His giving. At least a little bit of His pursuit of God's glory. At least a little bit of Him putting aside His rights and not asserting His rights. We as Christians are such manby-pambies. We get so mad every time somebody says we can't pray. Or every time say, and we want to go to the Supreme Court and change everything. And we should be doing those things. But you know what? We are just 
Pilgrims passing through. Nobody can stop us from praying. Nobody can stop us from loving. And nobody can stop us from sacrificial living. The Supreme Court can dictate that all they want to. But they cannot stop us from following our Savior. As a matter of fact, the more they try to stop us, and the more they go after us, and the more persecution and difficulty comes in this country, which we have very little, but we're going to have some. And when we do have some, do you know what you can expect the church to do? First of all, it filters out the hypocrites. Persecution has a way of filtering out the hypocrites. Now, it purifies the church. And I'll tell you the second thing it does. It causes it to grow. You mess with the body of Christ, you're messing with our Lord. Take it to Him. Lost people act lost. We live in a pagan, secular culture. Expect nothing else from them. And the reason they're turned so secular, the reason they've turned so pagan, is because we've turned so secular and we've turned so pagan. The lost salt has lost its savor. And we've not accurately represented the Lord. And today's the 10th anniversary of 9-11. All the tragic loss that happened that day. And I want to tell you this. We were going to do it. Now you heard me tell this story. We were going to commemorate 9-11. And they called down a bunch of... It was an ecumenical service we were going to have. And I was sent by my senior pastor. I was the associate pastor of the church at that time. And he said, go represent me at the meeting. And I said, I will. And so we went to the meeting. And we were there with everybody and his brother. And they were all strategizing and planning about how we are going to do this and that. And who's going to be on the platform? And, you'll take and so I was there just to say, okay, my pastor will pray. Let him take that part. And so one guy spoke up, and we and we were just going back and forth. And I wasn't having, I didn't have much of an interest in the meeting, to be honest with you. But it was going to be a big to do in the depot in Kennesaw, and I think it was the first anniversary, actually. That's what it was. It was the first anniversary. And so one guy spoke up and said, "Brother, you know," and he got real assertive, and he said, "I tell you what, if we're going to have all these people in downtown Kennesaw, what we need to do is get up on the stage and call them to repent." And I said. And some guy looked over at me, one of the Methodist pastors, and said, what, Brother Lynch, you had not said much. What do you think we were to do? I said, we're to get up on the platform and apologize to those people. Why? I said, because we've not showed them hardly any of Jesus. God's not waiting for the lost man to repent in mass. He's waiting for the church to repent in mass. And then we'll preach repentance. And maybe they'll listen to us so we have some credibility with how we walk. We need to get up on the stage and say to the community, I am sorry on behalf of the church because of the witness that we've wielded in this community. Please forgive us for how we've acted. We are perfected. We're positionally righteous. And oh dear ones, that's the incentive and that's the motivation to live righteously. Because you know what that does? That produces unadulterated, pure, holy, and sincere gratitude. I've told you the story before. Andrew reminded me of it the other day. We were going to leave and go to the grocery store somewhere. I was going to Rite, I was going to Rite Aid to get something. It's right down the street from our house. And Jill said, Andrew, you want to go with your dad? And I think he had some Lego thing going on. I can't compete with Legos. And Andrew was struggling, you know, because he might, I, I give it to him. He wanted to play the Legos or whatever. But you know what he said? And I looked over and I said, son, you don't have to go if you don't want to. I'm leaving it up to you. If I tell you to go, you're going to go. But right now you have an option. 
And he said, Daddy, I just want to go be with you. Which one am I going to pick? His mother saying, you see this? If you don't go with your dad, you're going to encounter it. Swiftly. The spanking stick, if you don't go with your dad. And then with fear and trembling, he gets in the truck and goes with me. All the while, thinking about the Legos he's missing out on. Or that Andrew says, I just want to hang out with you. God's not me, and I'm not God, and he's not needy. But the kind of worship that he accepts and receives is the kind that's not under duress, but it's the kind that's been touched and melted by the heart of his grace. And we say, oh, Lord, I want to hang out with you because you have been so incredibly good to me. It's an act of worship. Oh, Jesus, if this is what you've done, you've made me conform to the image of your Son. You have taken me and you have declared me not guilty. You have said to me, I mean, because I know my background. I know my background. I've got that rearview mirror. And, it's, and let's just say it's the right size. And I glance there and look what it used to be like without you. And look at the decisions I've made, even since I've known you sometimes and gotten wayward and goober-headed and had my own way and thought, Lord, I've got it from here. I can handle this. And all the things that I've done in light of what I know about you. And yet you forgive and you restore and you heal. And you still call me. You're still present with me. You've made a commitment and a covenant with me that's one way. You keep the covenant, not me. It's not my faithfulness that keeps it. It's yours. And I've received the, the, a decree from heaven that that which was unrighteous at one time has now been declared righteous. That my righteousness on my own is as filthy rags. And now you have cleaned me up and purified me. And I'm going to wrangle with you about... Surrender. I'm going to wrangle with you about your call on my life. I'm going to take you to task about every little thing and kind of challenge you. Or I'm going to be like Abraham when he got up there at Genesis chapter 22 and he had so matured to the point that God said, I want you to take your only son, go up that hill and kill him. And Abraham went. Okay. And he got up the next morning, took his son, went up that hill to slay him, and there's no record of argument. There's no record of wrangling. There's no record of negotiation. You know why? Because he come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you said the inheritance is through Isaac, it's through Isaac. And if you mean it for me to slay Isaac, you're going to raise him from the dead. You can have your way with me because of the goodness of the Lord. The Bible says it's the forbearance and the patience of the Lord that leads us to repentance in the first place. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Therefore, let as many as are perfect have this mind. Let's be on the same mind. Let's look at other believers in a different light. Regardless of where we're at in our spiritual growth, we are all positionally righteous. As a believer, no one is yet to be made positionally righteous. As a believer, somebody who's loaned God for six minutes or 60 years possesses the same positional righteousness as anybody else and everything in between. I think it would be different if we saw each other that way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Do you know what that is? That's picking up on Philippians 1.6, what it is, Patty. Because in Philippians 1.6, what did he say? What did he say? He who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, God began this work in you, and even if you can't receive what I've told you right now, God's going to show it to you. God's going to finish what He started in your life. 
God's going to bring it to fruition. God's going to bring it to completion. God is at the business of doing that. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from the power it has to rule over us. And bless the Lord, God one day will be delivered from His presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord says, God's going to reveal it to you because He's going to complete the work He began. But nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. You know what that means? Meets wherever you are. Wherever you are. You know, I don't know where you are and you're walking. You don't know where I am. But wherever you are, to the degree that you've already attained, listen, he's going to finish what he started. Don't let the degree to which you've already attained discourage you. If you're not where you want to be, just thank God you're not where you used to be. And that God has his hand on you and he's going to complete the work he started. The degree to which you've already attained, the degree to which you have already come into conformity with what's positionally true of you, to that degree, let's start there. Let's forget what's behind. Here we go. Watch it. It's coming up again. Let's, let's forget what's behind and let's start there and let's start walking by the same rule. That means to line up under. That means to fall in line. That means to get in line like we're going to do in a few minutes to go uh, eat the covered providence dish supper dinner thing. And we're going to go over there. And when we get over there, we're all going to get in a line. You better. And don't break in the line either. And we all get just to line up under this truth. And if we all line up to this truth that we're positionally righteous, God is making us practically righteous and He's using suffering to do it so that we can be formed to His image of His Son. We're all on this journey together. And part of our job is to encourage one another when somebody stumbles, pick them up, help them up, encourage them, build them up, don't condemn them. Pick them up and help them and encourage them to get their eye on the prize. And when they got their eye over here, say, man, just gently get it back over here. God never jerks your head back on the prize. He just lifts it gently and says, look over here, son. Look over here, daughter. He gently does that. He doesn't jerk a knot in your head. Gently moves you back over and says, get, get reoriented. Get oriented back. By the same rule, that word rule means sphere, sphere, S-P-H-E-R-E. It means that let's, let's walk in the, same, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in the same arena here. Let's realize that we're all under the sphere of salvation as Christians. It's not a rule that makes us conform. It's a position that we acknowledge where we conform. It is, a, it is, a, it is standing is what he's saying. Let's walk in the same sphere and let's, let's be of the same mind. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. And He's conforming us into the image of His Son because we've been conformed into the image of His Son. You've heard us speak about salvation in tenses, that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And we get those tenses messed up. Here's what the devil will slip in and do. If you're not satisfied with your walk or maybe you're wayward or whatever and you get a cold or indifferent, boy, he just loves to exploit times like that. He just loves to come in with his condemning tongue and slander you. The Bible says, in part, the word devil means slanderer. And it's his job, it's his role to slander. You know what he's trying to do? He's not trying to mess. He's not trying. It's his beef is not with you. His beef is with the Lord. And he's trying to talk you into thinking and believing less about the atonement. Let me say this to you. Every problem 
and every hang up that you and I encounter as a Christian has as its root the false notion that Jesus Christ is not enough. Every hang up and every sin and every slice of bondage that you and I ever have been in, ever will be in as a Christian has as its root the false notion that Jesus is just simply not enough. That's it. And Satan knows that. That's his modus operandi. He wants to talk us out of the, the effectiveness of the atoning work of Christ. He wants to talk us out of the fact that it's sufficient. He wants to talk us out of the sufficiency of Scripture. Brian and I were having a discussion about that yesterday. Oh, no, 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 you need more than that. No, no, you need more than that. Jesus is not enough. We need a rule. We need some kind of regulation. We need some kind of something. We don't, we, the Word's not enough. The greatest sin ever committed as far as its consequences. The seedbed of the deception is that God's not enough. Oh, you need to eat that tree. Because whatever He's giving you, I'm telling you, you really want to experience it? You really want to experience Him? Take that fruit. The greatest sin that was ever committed as far as the consequences and the pervasiveness of it and the devastation of the greatest sin ever committed in the Garden of Eden was done and, the, and Eve was open to it because she tried to add to what God had said. Thou shalt not eat of the tree. And she quoted to Satan, Thou shalt not eat of it or touch it. He's enough. Jesus is enough. We live out of every word that comes out of his mouth. You know what? God has spoken his mind. You ever know talk about that? I told that guy, I'll tell you one thing. I went over there to Sozo's house and I spoke my mind. Well, that's carnal. But you know what? God came down from heaven through his son and he spoke in his mind. And we can get inside that mind. And we can have the mind of Christ. Christian, you are positionally righteous. Where are you in practical righteousness? Is the gap far too big for your satisfaction? Have things grown cold and indifferent with your relationship with Jesus? We can fool everybody but Him. But we can't fool him. And it's time for the body of Christ for us who are the redeemed, who have been called out and called to be conformed to the image of his son through surrender, through not looking back, but looking forward, and through patient endurance through suffering, which is what the Apostle Paul says God uses to conform us into the image of his son, to surrender in greater measure so that we carry about us the fragrance of Christ. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will get to see the Lord. Let's not waste any more time.